listening to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro, the place to learn about new technology and technological advances before they become mainstream. This podcast is sponsored by Ingram Micro's Imagine Next. It's not about the destination. It's about going someplace you never thought possible. Go to imaginenext.ingrammicro.com to find out more. Let's get into it. Hi, B2B Tech Talk listeners. We wanted to share with you some of our favorite episodes over the last year that we thought would be helpful to you right now. This episode is from February 2020, where Janet Shines, the founder and CEO of JS Group, discusses why sales pros need to act more human when they're selling online. She talks about the importance of tech and business people being able to connect with one another, plus why digital is the bare minimum requirement for all companies to be successful to create a great user experience, and why you need to be thinking about things like VR, AR, and other things to stay relevant in the future. Now, human connection is the thing that matters most to me. I find many companies forget that it's not just about numbers, but that each person that interacts with your digital presence is a real human being. Technology can help us propel forward and do things faster, but in my opinion, it will never replace real human connection. And so when we remember that there is another human on the other side and treat them that way, we build real relationships and in turn create opportunities. You can learn more by listening to this episode or by contacting your Ingram Micro account manager to help your brand stand out in the new year and be more human. Welcome to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and we are welcoming today Janet Shines, the CEO of the JS Group. Welcome, Janet. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Love having this chat. So, Janet, you went to school for business and finance. And then you worked for a few companies for about 12 years. And in your 30s, you decided to start your own company, which is the JS Group. And then you decide to go work for Motorola, Verizon, and Office Depot at VP levels, and then eventually executive VP levels. And then about a year ago, you decide to go back to the company you founded, JS Group, almost 22 years later. I would love for you to talk about this journey. You know, First off, why did you initially start the JS Group? Why did you leave and why now did you decide to come back? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's really interesting. So I start, you know, we all have our journeys and I went to school for finance and I went to school for business and I went to work in finance and wow, did I hate it. And so I lasted about a week and I went and not making that up. And I went and got a new job in an industry that I loved and it was the um, cosmetics industry. And as I was there, I realized I was the only geek. I had been, you know, kind of brought up the last girl child in a family. And so uh, my dad was, you know, pretty invested in me being good at science and math and sports and fishing and hunting. And he, um, he, you know, really had instilled a love of all things computer and geeky. And so during my tenure there, I realized that there was this gap that was happening where business people and technical people couldn't seem to speak to each other and they couldn't figure out what they were saying. And I had had two kids. I was a single parent. I was killing myself getting to New York City. And I said, you know, I got to get out of these industries. You know, finance, I had I had went into finance after that. And, and I said, I got to get out of here. And so I said, I'm going to start my own consulting company. And my dad actually was ready to retire. And he said, I'll, I'll do it with you. So you don't have to be afraid. We'll make this happen. And my first client... Uh, I was doing a rotation through uh, the Sandoz division uh, at that point in time, which is all owned by Nestle. And they offered me a consulting contract. So I really walked out with very little risk. I started consulting, helping geeks figure out how to take their go-to-market. 
and talk to business people and have conversations with business people. And I consulted for lots of firms, IBM and Intel and NVIDIA and Microsoft and Cisco, and I could go on and on. And I did that the whole time my kids were growing up. And then my kids got into high school and college and, you know, you say, well, you know, my youngest was in high school and I had a job offer that included buying my company out. Like very frankly, it's a much longer story than that, but I had some IP that they wanted. It was part of the Motorola symbol acquisition. And I said, well, why wouldn't I do this? Because I would never have made VP. Uh, I'm too outspoken to have made VP climbing the corporate ladder. I, for sure would have upset somebody. But being a consultant, I was able to be outspoken and people actually pay you to be outspoken. And so I went into corporate America, rose through the ranks quickly because after you hit a certain level, being outspoken is also encouraged. And um, I was so blessed and so lucky. And then frankly, my dad, the very same guy who you know started the company with me started to decline. Uh, we moved to Florida. I started to reevaluate how I was balancing my life. The kids are, you know, productive adults off the payroll. And my daughter and I had a conversation one night and she said, boy, that must've been the best thing ever to start a company with your dad. And, you know, I'm trying to balance some of these same things, you know, as a young professional, it's not a mom yet, but you know, it's hard. And, and my dad and she and I were having this conversation and he looked at me and I looked at him and we looked at her and we said, okay, let's go. And so my daughter and I uh, now work together. My husband's actually in the firm. And then we have about another 20 people that I was blessed enough. People that have worked with me in the past wanted to work with me again. So I think it's full circle. And I think it's all about flexibility and about doing what's right for you at the time that's right. And the times that are right to be an entrepreneur, which this is one of those times for me, um, you should take that bull by the horns. And the time that's right to climb the corporate ladder and make a lot of money, you should take those too. And I, I think I've balanced that well, and I'm excited about this next chapter. Well, I'm excited for you. And I think that's a tremendous short version of your story and all that you've done. And I love that the core of it is that you're doing what was right for you at each time of your life. Going forward, I know you recently gave a talk where you said that it seems that every single company is trying to become a tech firm and that success would require a digital norm. Why is it that you think everyone wants to become a tech firm? You know, what is the appeal and what do you mean by a digital norm? No, no worries. So, you know, when we think about this concept that everybody wants to become a tech industry, it's because we're in a, uh, an area now in our world, you know, we had the agricultural evolution and the industrial evolution, and um, we're now in a technical revolution. And part of that is we're in this, this world where digital is just the minimum expectation for most customers. The experience that people most desire is a digital one. And when what most people desire is a digital, empowered, seamless, easy customer experience, it almost requires every company to become a tech company because it would be hard to provide that without having some level of technology. So the car company, um, you know, your car interface has to be something that's more like using a computer than driving a car. In fact, I would argue a Tesla is more computer than car and most of the manufacturers are moving there. And whether it's your food and being able to track your food safety and knowing where it was grown and how it was grown and if there's issues or healthcare, you know, letting you yourself input symptoms and, and find potential solutions and many times remote every company is being challenged to step up and be into a digital world. And we're, we're mere years away from many of us living full time in a virtual world, particularly people that are 
disabled or otherwise restricted, they can have a phenomenal experience. Um, if you can't hear, if you can't see, if you can't walk, um, or if you're just sickly or have an emotional issue. There's so much that virtual reality can do for you. And so I think every company is starting to, you know, kind of explore the boundaries. So if you think about a car, think about somebody like my mom who really wasn't a big driver, but liked to go places. Well, you could virtualize the experience of being in a car and going everywhere. So I don't know, is the next, you know, Chevy or Audi or Mercedes you buy really going to be a physical car or will it be the manifestation of that car? Will it be a split share car with five of your neighbors. I think the possibilities are endless. And that's why every company is having to come into this world because without it, they will be irrelevant. So that's my kind of short answer. I don't know if you want to ask a follow-up, but that's why I think everybody's doing it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. It's funny because you hear people like um, Gary Vaynerchuk says everybody should be a media company. It's interesting. You're saying everyone should be a tech company. Um, yeah. I think you're right. That's how we're consuming everything. So you don't have a choice. Um, it's something that we have to do. I agree. And by the way, in Gary's defense, um, I do think that with social media on the rise and the digital normal, you do have to be your own ad agency or media agency at all times because it's all about the content and influence, right? So um, I don't think those companies that become tech companies have, can afford to ignore that. Yes. Now, there are 10 things that you recommend channel sales and customer teams do to win the digital norm, with the bottom line being to be human and be connected, which I love that. I couldn't agree more. What do you mean by that line, to be human and be connected? And if you could share with us specifically maybe some of the 10 things, especially for this audience, that channel sales and customer teams could do. Absolutely. So I'll start with what it means to be human and to be connected. So I think one of the risks of this constantly connected world is meanness. I'm just going to call it that. You can call it bullying. You can call it meanness. You can call it disconnecting. But having a glowing rectangle in your hand all the time, uh, you pick your device, um, and using that as your primary mode of communication many times leads for people to act inhuman, to say things or do things or act in ways that they couldn't possibly act if they were faced with that same situation in the real world. And so I encourage people to act human and many times to disconnect themselves a little bit from how they act online and think about how they should act. And the example I always give people is if you were at a, a live event and you wanted to, as a salesperson, talk to someone about yourself and make a connection and then hope that that connection would turn into a sale, you would start the conversation being about them. You would ask them where they were from. Uh, you know, what do they like to do? Oh, that's interesting. How are you liking the conference? What topics have interested you? And over time, you would segue into what you did and why you thought you could work together. In a world of social media, many salespeople go out there and every day they post something that I see is basically screaming about their services and why people should buy from them. And you wouldn't walk up to someone at that event and go, hi, I'm Janet, I'm from JS Group and we're the best channel consultancy, sales marketing enablement in the business and you should work with us on your social selling and on your channel program. You wouldn't do that. You just wouldn't do that. It would be rude. And yet you do it online all the time. And so I ask people to just take a gut check and say, would you do that? Would that be something you do um, in the real world? And then the second thing is really to be even more human and even kinder than the situation calls for and to give back, right? So one of the top things I think that 
um, matters this year and and for as long as I can envision it coming is the people that give back, the people that are willing to give of their time, not just writing a check, whether it's for a not-for-profit, whether it's to help another person, uh, particularly a diversity candidate, for example, whether it's to give that half an hour of time that you really don't think you have, but you make time for that person and you answer their questions. Giving back, giving of your time is just a to me, a top 10 thing. And I think, you know, you asked about a few of the others. So I'll just kind of run through a few other things I think are going to help people be successful. And one of them is learning you, you know, smart is truly the new growth. I put myself to learn every day. I sign up for hashtags on the social media platforms that I prefer, which are Twitter and LinkedIn. And I just, you know, look at those feeds every day and I learn something every single day. And that's important to me because I think you have to keep yourself, you know, you have to keep yourself out there to keep yourself exposed. And the second thing is you really need to find new connections. The channel um, specifically is retiring at epic rates and they're, you know, we're not connecting as well with some of the emerging channel partners that are out there, the born in the cloud partners, the, you know, the newer partners. And so I think that's a, a, another tip. And then the final one I'll say is that you have to be out there social selling and prospecting every single day. People that practice social selling have a higher achievement of their quota, about 70% higher than their peers. And it's a great way to position yourself. If you don't know how to social sell, feel free to jot me a note. We'll share some contact information at the end and I'm happy to point you in the right direction. Yeah, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here nodding my head to everything you're saying because I agree. I mean, I've seen it. Many people have seen it online where people are just kind of like talking at you in a very aggressive way on social media. And I love that you're saying, you know, be human, be connected, you know, reach out to people, give as if you would in real life. So I love that you're bringing that concept to fruition. Why do you think that that's so hard for people to do? Because it seems like it would be common sense, but it seems that it's something people struggle with. Particularly in our industry, because I don't, you know, as a whole, people are just, you know, really interesting on social media, but I'll just address our technical world. So I think in many ways, a lot of people in the tech industry are naturally introverts. They gravitated toward technology as a way to escape and as a way to, you know, to, to be cool in a world 20 years ago where that wasn't cool to be a nerd or a geek, and now it truly is. And so I think that many of the people that do that are awkward in social interactions to start with. And so they're more comfortable behind the computer. It, it just is a, it's a, it's a veil. It's a cape. And so it may take them having to potentially even get some coaching, working with a behavioral psychologist, working with someone who can help them to learn the right way to behave. Because I, someone made the joke to me last week, and so I'll make it here, that you're expecting people that didn't know how to ask, ask someone for a prom date to be personal with each other might be difficult for some of the tech people, and I think it's a very fair point. So uh, I'm going to blame it on awkward social skills and, and the distance that a screen allows you to put between yourself and human interaction. I like that. I haven't heard that before, but that does make sense. A lot of times how we interact in person can translate online, which now brings me to Part of your tagline for the JS group is we keep it real and achieve results. And you also write that it's always been your brand and key to success. And even on your social channels, you write, my opinions are my own, even if you don't like them. And I love this. I love this level of honesty and confidence coming from you. 
I know that you're also a huge advocate for women in technology. Where did this confidence come from for you? And why do you feel everyone, especially women, should keep it real, be honest, and be themselves in the work world and career space? Well, first of all, it's absolutely exhausting to not act like yourself. Yes. So, um, I just, just excruciatingly so. And yet, you know, so often, right, we zip the work coat on, as it said, and, and have to act different in a meeting or, or a presentation. And, you know, I really credit a lot of my success to advice that people have given me over the years. And one of the things that I've always kind of had was a little bit of moxie as a person. I've just always been that person. And uh, in fact, um, just the other day, someone was having a conversation and, and it was very evident that many of the people in the room were uncomfortable and didn't agree with what the person was saying, but they weren't saying anything. It was evident in their body language, but it wasn't evident in their comments. And I stopped and I said, you know, can I just say something? And, you know, here's how I'm feeling. And by the way, this is a proven formula called feel felt found, right? I'm feeling like, um, and I, I know I've felt this way before and here's what's happened. And what I found is there's a better way. And after the meeting, I must have had half a dozen people come up to me and thank me for being quote unquote brave enough to say what I was thinking. And so, you know, what I've learned over the years from all the great advice I've gotten from all my mentors and sponsors and bosses and clients and everyone else is every time I didn't speak my mind, it came back to bite me one way or another. I either didn't get the promotion. I didn't get the client. Um, we didn't hit our goals. And as long as I did it respectfully and I make it about me, so even my tweet, my Twitter profile where it says my opinion's my own, even if you don't like it, I'm making it about me, right? I'm not saying my opinion's my own and if you don't like it, you're dumb. I'm not saying that. I'm saying my opinion's my own even when you don't like it, right? And I get it. You might not like my opinion. So if you point the finger at yourself, when you're being confident and when you're providing critical feedback, when you're providing negative feedback rather than pointing your finger at the other person. So I always like to give the example, I feel badly when you speak to me that way versus you shouldn't talk to me that way. And what a difference it makes because when someone says you shouldn't talk to me that way and we've all had people disrespect us and talk you know, in, in the wrong way to us, that puts a person on the defensive. But when you say, I feel badly when you speak to me that way, the person immediately goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't realize I was hurting your feelings. So um, at least if there are any way, shape or form human. So I think that's, you know, the largest part of it. I would say just one other thing to the listeners out there, confidence is a habit. So the only person that you ever look silly to, quite frankly, is yourself. No one else is paying that much attention. And so I have just always believed that I was my own worst enemy. And so whenever I envision that I'm going to do something that's out of my comfort zone, I always envision what, what's going to happen. So let's just say I'm going to call on a client and I'm nervous isn't going to work and I'm in the parking lot and I'm getting ready to go in. So the absolute worst thing that can happen is that I'm back in the parking lot in a few minutes because the client throws me out. That's the absolute worst thing that can happen. My kids won't stop loving me. Neither will my husband. My friends won't even know what happened. In, in the grand scheme of things, the absolute worst thing that can happen is that I'm back in my car sitting in the parking lot. So what am I afraid of? And when you get that attitude and you have that, that confidence, it shows and you're less likely to have a negative impact like someone throwing you out. So hope that helps.
Yeah, no, I think that's really good feedback and advice. And another thing you had mentioned earlier, you had started this company with you and your dad, and now you do it with your husband and your daughter. And I'd love to know, what is it like to kind of work with family from working with your dad to now working with your husband and daughter? And how do you separate or balance the family and the business and any advice for those looking to do the same if they have that with their own company and family? Absolutely. And the first thing I would tell you is I don't know that I would do a business only with my family. So we're very blessed because we have a large group of consultants here at JS Group that are also working with us every day. I think if it was just me and the family, that could be challenging. So that might be my first piece of advice is good to work with your family, but maybe have some other people uh, involved in the equation as well, because I think that helps. I would tell you it's fabulous. First of all, my husband and my daughter are both much smarter than I am, which is really fun and fantastic to watch. And I think that's the key is we play off each other's strengths. Um, I'm more personable, right? Um, and they're more smart, so we can work that. The second thing I would tell you is it comes down to expectations. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you work and your spouse also works, but somewhere else, it's not any different than that. So, you know, the expectation that your personal life is going to take priority at the important moments, that, that you're not going to come home every day and talk about work, that you don't see each other all day. We work in separate offices. We, we don't, you know, sit in the same office all the time. And then most importantly, that when the one person has a problem, you're going to support them. So none of that is different than if you both worked for different companies. The only plus is that when your spouse or child or parent complains about something or has a problem with something, you actually can help them with the work as opposed to, you know, trying to solve something sitting around the kitchen table. So I think that that view that you're doing it for your family, with your family makes it great. And then I would also say, no one really understands you as well as the people that love you. And I think that's why you see so many family run businesses, particularly in the tech industry that are wildly successful because your family really does get you and they get your unspoken word as well as your spoken word and can many times you just be a better translator. And then the final thing I will say is my daughter Ashlyn is, as I said, very smart. She's brilliant about things like social selling and digital and social media. And so she adds a, another flavor, right, to what you can offer. So I, I think it's a great way for a family to be. And um, part of how our country was formed was family-owned businesses. So I'd highly encourage anyone who's interested in doing it to give it a look and maybe consider it. Yeah, I like that breakdown. And I've even seen people who've been friends for 20 years and open a business have a similar feel as well. Yes, I agree. And I've seen some of that as well, or people that have just had a business together for 20 years and they're as close as family, right? So, and let's face it, we all say we have our work family. So, um, yeah, why not make it your regular family? Why not make it your regular family? Uh, this makes sense. And you get to say exactly. Yes. So the last question we, uh, we like to ask our guests here on the show is overall, from a standpoint, where do you see technology going within the next year? So I think, you know, technology, first of all, is the fastest moving that it's ever been. It's, you know, one, one day equals a year at this point um, in innovation. And we're not going to see any change in that. The economy has been good for a long time. Innovation and the technology industry has been leaning in very heavily to that, as well as worldwide trends around automation, et cetera. You're not going to see that change. Technology is going to be hot as anything. Um, you're really going to see a lot in robotic process automation, virtual reality, 
everything as a service, of course, and then all of the things that are happening that are going to enable things like autonomous vehicles, um, you know, due to 5G and kind of edge computing and, um, and IoT. But that, I think, is going to be the smaller story when we look back a few years from now, because the bigger story is going to be around how did people distribute? How did people sell? How did people go to market? How did they fulfill the customer experience for whoever their end user is? The partner experience, if you're uh, in distribution sales or the customer experience, if you're a partner, what did you do to make it simple and human and engaged with your client? I think that and is going to be much more of a story than any technology is. So for anyone listening, if you're thinking of how are you going to invest or what are you going to get your vendors to invest in this year, I would be looking towards programs that are around connecting the channels specifically with their end user customers through digital, through social uh, media and through improved customer experience. Cause I think that's the big news. Yeah. I love that. Where can people learn more about what we talked about today or if they want to connect with you to ask any questions, where can they do that? Absolutely. So um, our website is jsgnow.com. So that's jsgnow.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter at ChannelSmart or just look me up on LinkedIn and do that as well. And then finally, if you, if all else fails and you want to go, you know, somewhat old school, you can send me an email. And my email is jshines at jsgnow.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your insight uh, across the gamut between uh, life and business and technology. So we appreciate you being here and uh, we look forward to hearing more of what you do in the future. Thanks so much. Loved being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you like this episode or have a question, join the discussion on Twitter at Ingram Texel with the hashtag B2B Tech Talk. Thank you for tuning in and subscribing to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro. We hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen so you never miss an episode, especially all the new and great things we have coming in 2021. If you're listening on Apple iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. You've been listening to B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro, hosted by Carrie Roberts. This episode was sponsored by Ingram Micro's Imagine Next. B2B Tech Talk is a joint production with Sweetfish Media and Ingram Micro. Ingram Micro production handled by Laura Burton and Christine Fan. To not miss an episode, subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform.